My name's Hugh. So this seminar is Faith to Disciple People. I'm going to focus more on once you've once they're Christians, how you get hold of people, and I guess particularly kind of men, although it's generic. Um, and I'll share some of what I do. Obviously, we are different people. Same with kind of winning guys. So you need to work out how you outwork it, but the principles remain remain the same. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Titus chapter 2. I'm going to talk really about three three main aspects of uh, discipling people. So the first one would be vision. So when we think about, have a thought about this for a moment. When you think about discipling people, where do you want it to end up? So just pay attention to what comes to mind first of all. You know, it's not, not the logical answer, but think, okay, when I disciple someone, this is my aim. This is where I'm going. So we'll talk a bit about vision of what we are trying to do, because what we're not trying to do is make them into us. <laughs> and we're not trying to coach a skill that might be part of it. We're not just trying to focus on them as a husband or an ex, although those might be focuses. There's actually a bigger picture to that. And once we understand that bigger picture, it does mean you can actually disciple anyone in any to some degree whatsoever and then we'll talk a little bit about faith because when you're discipling people it's frustrating i mean have you paid attention to your own life (laughs) ever been frustrated with your own growth and you're fully in control apart from the holy spirit and you know let alone trying to work with someone else who you're getting to know it's important that i think as we think about speaking into the life of other people helping them shape them we remind ourselves that we're not working against the grain of god's grace in fact, we're, we're just actually saying there's life in you. Let me help you bring it out. And God's more committed to them than we might ever be. And then we'll do some things on skill, wisdom, whatever you want to call it. Some tools, some ideas that we have found helpful. So first of all, vision. So when you're thinking about discipling, you know, I, I'm a church leader. The first thing that comes to mind, being honest, is, and I've got to fight this in me, how can I disciple them to be a better church member? And in that I think, oh, you know, serving, using their gifts, X, Y, and Z, or in their context, how to be a husband, how to be a uh, whatever in their workplace. Now that's all true. That's important, all of that stuff. But it needs to first come out of what we're ultimately trying to do. So Paul writing to the Galatians, he says, My dear children, for whom I am again, (laughs) sounds like he goes through quite a lot with these guys, (laughs) in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So Paul's caring for these believers was all about seeing Christ formed in them. And actually his approach was not a distant, not a remove, not a kind of just a one-off thing, although there's value in all of those. It's I'm lacking the pains of childbirth. The best way I can imagine it is when I've seen women go through childbirth, the pain they go through to bring forth life. And they know it's going to be painful. Hey, that's how I'm going through. I want to bring forth Christ being formed in you. The message version puts it like this. Do you know how I feel right now and I will feel until Christ's life becomes visible in your life? Like a mother in the pain of childbirth. I've got to remember these verses to make sure when I'm discipling people I'm focusing more on the principles of how Christ will look in their lives yeah. rather than forming them into my own image. Mm-hmm. Now, there's nothing wrong. They've got to, I've got to be able to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's the basic starting point. Now, not that I'm perfect. Most of that imitation is running to the grace of God. So it's not that we don't ask them to imitate us in any way whatsoever. However, our goal is to see Christ formed in them. And, you know, a few chapters before Paul writes to them, and it's frustrating. He's, he's, he's not just working with 
Very eager, zealous Christians who it's easy to disciple. Have you ever mentored someone like that? That's beautiful, isn't it? It's just like they lap up everything you say. The next day they come back, I've done it. It's actually everyone. Paul writes to the Galatians and said, You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Christ was proclaimed to you as crucified. You accepted him and now you're given in to the Judaizers. There was frustration. A lot of it. I met with someone recently who was looking to maybe be involved in our church plan and he spent the first 15 minutes telling me I love discipling people who really want to learn and people who aren't even Christians I don't particularly like spending time with people who are hard work (laughs) it's like I know I'm a lot younger with all humility I think there's a problem here now I totally get the frustration yeah I totally get it we've all my life's been like that to others before but ultimately our desire is the glory of God the image of God in them to be formed and shaped and that's basic. Agreed? Yeah. However, I need to remind myself constantly, how I want to see Christ formed in you. That means when I disciple, I'm focusing on the heart, not the hands. I'm focusing on the character of the person, of who they are, rather than what they do. Yeah. And what they do should always be a fruit of who they are. Yeah. Now, sometimes you can focus more on the what they do because they come to you and the heart's good and you're basically directing the heart. So we had a, a, a lady who got saved not so long ago. She was doing a discipleship course. Money came up. And her question was, well, what does the Bible tell me I should do with her money? The answer was, oh, you should give generously. She says, how much? So, oh, we use the principle of 10%. The next day, she's tithing. You know, you get some stories like that. Hallelujah. Because the life of God's in them. And you just think, let's direct your heart. It's beautiful. And you, you're compliant. Other times, it's long. It's patient. It's dogged. You want to write and say, oh, foolish. Who's bewitched you? But we remain committed to see Christ formed in them so that's kind of a reminder of a big and I need to remind myself when I meet with someone focus on the heart not the behaviour focus on the heart focus on Christ being formed in you because Christ being formed is the fruit of focusing on the focusing on the heart but then faith you know so in terms of faith to disciple people to stick with them for the long haul to keep going to trust actually that it's not about compelling them with our words but compelling them with God's truth. Um, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. I think, who's read that book? Heard of it? It's a good book. He he tells us this example of how his... um, uh, it's, It's a bit sketchy, but basically the point he's making is that if we revert to words to tell our kids, that was the example he's using, to behave before we've prayed for them, we're inadvertently relying on our words rather than the grace of God to work in their lives. Um, so obviously it's both end because you need to direct but he's saying I find myself more trying to compel her emotionally to abide by the house rules before I've even said Lord would you change her heart to want to honour and mutually respect people and I was convicted by that because I mean I don't think necessarily I have to pray every moment I think what do I rely upon more when I'm discipling people my ability to convince them and compel them or actually God's word and that means of grace and the Holy Spirit. So these are some helpful verses that I find. That's fine. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So if someone has, you know, obviously if we're not sure there's a Christian, could be a different ball game, but God's still gracious. But if you're working with Christians, you can be utterly confident that God is working in them to will and to work. You're not working against the life of God in them. Now, there might be their flesh and other issues they've got to work through, but fundamentally God's working in them. Philippians 1 verse 6, I'm sure of this, 
that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Have you prayed that into your own life? Lots and lots and lots. God, you started it! Anyone else pray that? Because you get frustrated? That should be the same heart for the people we disciple. So God, you've said, you've poured your spirit into their heart. You said they've got a heart of flesh, no longer a heart of stone. You said they will know the shepherd's voice. You said that you're the good shepherd, that you will take them in and out of pasture. Come and do it and use me in this moment. So I think faith has got to be born from the Scriptures, not our own ability. Although there's skills and you get confidence with it. The faith is that God wants to save people. God wants to transform them. He's jealous for their glory as well as for their good. And we must remind ourselves that. That's where the faith to disciple comes from. Not because I'm competent, but because God's at work in their lives. And if you trust the sovereignty of God in any way, and they're approaching you to ask you to mentor them, something's going on there. And you trust that God's grace is working. Probably my favourite verse, which is why I asked you to turn to Titus 2. Um, I'll read it, verse 11 to 14. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared, wonderful, bringing salvation, great, training us. This is what God's grace does. For when you're mentoring people, God's grace is at work training them to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives. And Isn't that a beautiful verse? God's grace, quite how, partly through us, trains us to say no... And that's how I live much of my life. Resist sin. And much of my mentoring was like that. Stop sinning. This is how you stop sinning. That's part of it. But it also trains us how to pursue God. How to live godliness. And you know, I found my, my discipleship changing from just stop sinning to hey, pursue Jesus. Start living uprightly. That's the beautiful side of it. In fact, the more you savor Jesus, the things of the world go strangely. dim. And God's grace does that. While we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness, to purify for Himself a people for His own possession, who are zealous for good works. That's a great verse, isn't it? You can tell God when you're discipling people or in your own life, say, God, you said your grace is teaching them to say no and to say yes and to be zealous for good works. And I want to help your grace emerge in their lives rather than I want to compel them through the power of persuasive speaking or the promise of position or whatever it is. So I hope, I hope that in a little moment stirs your heart a little bit. Confidence, it's not, it's not in our competence. You know, I've, I have occasion to meet with a lot of older men and it's a humbling thing. It really is. And I'm thinking, what the heck? Men who have walked faithfully, but by God's grace, I'm trusting that moment somehow whilst I'm learning from them, I can encourage you because all I need to say is God what you're doing and how can I bring the grace of God to fall in their lives so you can be confident we are made competent ministers by the Holy Spirit and kind of a verse that brings all of this together a little bit in Ephesians 4 obviously talking about kind of the Ephesians 4 ministries but the goal of it verse 13 is that we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood so there's a vision mature manhood What does that look like? It goes on later, but it says, To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro. And here comes the skill, if you like, how we go about it. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. So there's the discipleship is a comprehensive 
every way kind of thing because we're living with a heart for the person not with them to get a, to do a task or something in every way we are to grow up into him who is the head into Christ when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love you see when we're discipling people we can make it very individual I'm helping you <laughs> so you can honor Jesus that is true wonderfully true but there's a much bigger picture isn't there there's a body. Our discipleship of other people is about the body of Christ, growing up, building itself up. That's what the manifold wisdom of God will be made known through the, the church. You know, So yes, the local gathered, but also the worldwide church. So when we're discipling people, you've got the vision to think, actually, God's grace is at work and faith. But there's a bigger picture. I'm not just about you and me. We, and in that, in that, you get a picture of discipleship being, you give them a vision for their discipleship that's beyond them just making it through the day. Actually, so the body builds itself up in love. But what I want to focus on is verse 15. Can we say, speaking the truth in love? Speaking the truth in love. Yeah, who likes the truth bit? Yeah, (laughs) pay attention to your expression when you say, speaking the truth in love. It's very easy to do that. Um, And, you know, you hear all the jokes, don't you? Some of us are more prone to do one than the other and that's because we misunderstand what love is and we misunderstand what truth is essentially so kind of this is more going into the the skills but of it rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up so this 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 verse and another i'll share with you are two guiding principles for me when i disciple people one you need truth and love we'll unpack a little bit about what that is later but the second one and this has been hugely formative for me one in one thessalonians chapter five we read this amongst other instructions we urge you brothers admonish the idle or warn the idle in some versions encourage the faint-hearted or comfort the discouraged help the weak and be patient with them all or as the message version puts it in honor of eugene peterson it's going to be with the lord warn the freeloaders to get a move on gently encourage the strugglers or stragglers and reach out for the exhausted pulling them to their feet be patient with each person, attentive to individual needs. So whilst there are principles, you also have the person. <laughs> and how you apply the principles will vary from person to person. So, I mean, I'm using the principles of these, but basically the point is there are the people you're engaging with, phase of life or stage you're in, they will require a different approach at times. Sometimes they've just been idle. They're really being lazy. They're neglecting this great salvation, as we read in Scripture. And they're, they're not taking in responsibility. And we need to admonish them. It's the same word Joel used upstairs. Obviously, there's a, there's a <laughs> because it says idle, you can think admonish means her. But how we do admonishing is important. But sometimes it's appropriate to say to people, hey, you need to get hold of the grace of God and stop being idle. Now, you probably won't use those words, depending on your relationship. But some people do need a little bit more firmness. Other people are faint-hearted. And they're discouraged, and they've been bashed, and they've been bruised, and they just need constant encouragement. So how you're going to mentor them would be very much encouraging. encouraging. Everything's wrapped, and once in a while you might have to do something else. Some people are weak. Some people, their consciences are fragile. Depending on their upbringing, they're just loaded with guilt the whole time and struggle to break, and you need to help them. So you could be meeting with four people, on the outside to the world, they look the same, but the way that you go about it is vastly, vastly different because of phase and stage of life they're in. So my example being when I was younger, I certainly needed a bit more of this, and I've always needed a bit of this, the patience. Be patient. 
with them all. Kind of junk drawer term. Do you get impatient with people? Saying, yeah. Be patient. God's patience leads to repentance and kindness. Now, patience isn't just sitting back, is it? It's active, deliberate waiting. So that's how we can be patient. But I have found this hugely. I first heard Dave Holden speak on this in terms of how you confront, how you deal with people. So you ask yourself, how this is what I can do, this is what we're trying to do, but given who you are, how best do we do it? And that means uh, you can't be a one-trick pony all the time. Now, we will probably all have certain kinds of people that primarily come to us. So given my makeup, there are certain people who are more attracted and come and seek me out. That doesn't mean I just get to be with them. That's kind of easier because generally they're hungry and they want what I've learned in my, my life. Other times you get people who are very different and we have to learn to apply which one of these. And I hope that's kind of helpful for you. So marrying 1 Thessalonians 5, these principles of everybody's different and then speaking the truth in love. I just want to unpack a little tool that I find helpful before we do some questions. So this is um, what we call, what I call, oh, it's not original, read it somewhere, invitation and challenge. Okay, Speaking the truth in love. So... If you think about invitation as the love bit, okay? So when you're discipling someone, you've got to invite them into your life. You've got to love them. You know, it's through the whole Bible, obviously. Paul's talking about how we share our lives with people. So helpful. So invitation would be the, speaking the truth in love, the love bit. We've got to love people. We've got to invite them into our lives. Got to be vulnerable with them. Got to be open and honest. And then challenge would be the truth, if you like. Um... I think this is from a book called Building a Discipleship Culture by Mike Breen and 3DM. So it's a, it's a phrase we use in our church that we're trying to develop. We want to be people of high invitation and high challenge. Um, now, just pay attention to what you think about when you hear the word challenge. <laughs> Who immediately thinks pointing out what's wrong and correcting it? Yeah, I think most of the time that's it. I, we need to relearn that challenge actually is... You could phrase it like, we're challenging you to live out the life God has in you. Challenging, speaking the truth, is about calling people into the things that God has for them. He's won a great victory, amen? And we call people into that life. Sometimes that's pointing out where it's going wrong. But when we challenge people, say, come on, let's live the life that God's won for us. There's so much more for you. It's kind of an encouragement thing as well. So you've got this matrix, low invitation kind of metrics here, and high challenge. And I'll just explain this a bit, and then we can ask questions, find it helpful. So over here is low challenge. Over here is high challenge, low invitation, high invitation. So this quadrant here, you get bored and apathetic people. Basically, you're never speaking truth into their lives, a bit up here as well, you're never speaking much truth into their life or any challenge or anything, you're just having a nice time, but neither is there much life sharing or invitation. It feels maybe a bit like a formal meeting, you never talk about yourself, you never acknowledge that you've struggled, you never let them in to get to know you, it's kind of like a formal line management kind of situation. You never move people on, but they get to tick the box that I'm being discipled. And, you know, I've, I've been there, I've done those things. So that's, you don't want to be there, would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And then you have low challenge and high invitation, okay? So that's where I'm going to share all my weakness with you. I'm going to draw on, I'm going to tell you, it's kind of like the phone call guy if he had never admonished that Joel was talking about. I'm just going to be there the whole time. Low challenge, I'm never going to just say, come on, live this out, go and do this. But you can come and totally be part of my life and hopefully you'll feel love. But 
And what you do is you get a cozy or a lazy culture there. Other words get used for that. Does that make sense? So, you know, and, and, you know, there might be seasons <laughs> where your invitation is high and your challenge is low, of course. But generally, you don't want to live in that quadrant. You didn't have the high challenge, high invitation quadrant. I'm going to be open, you can share my life with you, but every time we meet, I'm going to be pointing out wrong and calling you to do more and to get your socks pulled up and more and more. And that's just stressful (laughs) all the time. If that's all it ever is, and in a sense, your invitation is almost just like getting you ready to hit you over the head with a um, thing. So invitation, sorry, that's low invitation. My apologies. That's where you kind of at a distance to the person, but you're just telling them all the time. I guess it's the classic finger-pointing teacher who, when you put your hand up for help, you get told off, Oi, don't put your hand up, get on with it. You don't want to live there either. The quadrant you want to live in is high invitation, high challenge. No room like this. I don't know. Maybe half of us are better at the challenge. Half of us are better at the end of invitation, given our culture, given our upbringing, given our experiences. But when you live in a high invitation, I'm going to, you're going to welcome you into my life. You're going to see warts and all about me, you're going to hear about my doubts and fears not so that I can tell you about doubts and fears and make you, okay, but so I can testify to what God's grace has done through them that's why you invite people into your life, so they can witness the grace of God in the past ongoingly and in the future, not that they can say, ah, it's okay I'm broken too, but they can say ah, it's okay, I'm broken too, but God's grace is at work in in our lives that's why we must have the challenge, and this is kind of an empowered culture so you can talk about this leadership or discipleship. That's where people feel empowered. When I come to you, I feel you love me. You know, the wounds of a... Proverbs, the wounds of a friend can be trusted or something. The, anyone know, can actually quote the Bible accurately. Yeah, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So when, you, when you've got that, and you bring the wounds, it would be nicer if there's a different word, but can bring the challenge, you, you trust that that there's something in it, but it means you, you're, you're enabled to do that. But the person's empowered. I really, that was tough. <sighs> but I really feel loved. We, we've probably all heard stories of teachers where the children are like, man, that teacher pushed me all the way, but they were always there for me. They enabled me to, they believed in me, high challenge, but they also supported me. So we found that a really helpful tool for my own life as well, because I probably instinctively are more on the challenge than invitation. Historically, I grew up in Zimbabwe, Southern African men classically are straight down the line, you know. Our generation above us grew up in the war, you just pull your socks up and you get on with it, you don't talk about weakness until your life implodes at whatever age it is. So that's probably, <laughs> uh, that's probably where I came from. And it's the story of my dad, you know, so he imploded... Um, Invitation, not so much. So I've had to learn. <laughs> I've had to learn this one and be around those enthusiastic Barnabases and learn some of that's okay and stuff like that. Um, and so I've had to go through a season where I've pushed that out. <laughs> this is what it looks like to invite you into my life. Let me tell you about my weakness. This feels weird. Others of us will be like, of course you do that. But we find this harder. And I think when you marry the two, actually with a vision, we, we want to see, it's not about how I look in your eyes. It's about seeing Christ formed in you. If inviting into my life is going to help, that so be it. If it's awkward and I'm going to have to challenge you or speak the truth, come on, let's go for this, so be it. 